This is the Daily Chain Podcast, a community-based discussion where we talk with key crypto personalities and projects, helping you navigate the opportunity ahead. Hello, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in. This week, I'm pleased to share with you a conversation I had with some of the team from Hashrate, Wit and MeanHash. Hashrate is yet another example of a business that was born out of the community, looking to solve a problem that exists today, making mining cryptocurrencies easier. In the conversation, we cover what mining is at a high level and also go into why things like privacy coins are important and why mining crypto will not only have a positive effect on your bank balance, but the societal implications are also positive as well. These guys have a tremendous shot at success, simply because the pedigree of the team they have is amazing. You'll come to understand this as you listen to the episode. I learned an awful lot from this conversation. I hope you do too. Enjoy the show. Welcome to all of the eight people left in crypto at this stage after what's been a massive week for uh, Bitcoin and altcoins. Uh, a lot of people must be questioning their positions. I know I am. You know what that means? It means there's something good around the corner. Well, we all hope anyway. So I've got Wit and Mihash from the Hashrate podcast and the Hashrate team. Thanks for joining us, guys. Welcome. Thanks for having us on the show. Really appreciate it. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, we've we've had a couple of cancellations. I know you had some issues on the farm last week, guys, and a little bit of power issues, but we're finally talking. Very happy to be doing so. Yeah, we really appreciate you making the time for us. Uh, last week was last week, and this week is a fresh start. We're excited for it. Everything okay with the farm? Yeah, it was actually uh, actually my house. So I live, so it's a, I know it sometimes can get confusing, but I live on an actual farm. So when I when I said the farm, I meant like, you know, livestock and crops not mining rigs and <laughs> electricity so the power went out here i'm in the the middle of the country um you know it's we often laugh about it as a, as a group but i have the same internet speed at my home now that most people had in 1998 so uh, it's uh, it's always fun to deal with some of the technological difficulties when you live out in the sticks but we are mid move right now so i'm excited to move on into the the new new times here pretty soon yeah, well, it's always fun. You're at you're at the mercy of nature, aren't you? Sometimes, and then technology, uh, you're miles behind. So, um, some of the listeners may not have uh, come across you guys before from from the hash rate. And uh, if you guys could give us a high overview of who you are, we'll start with you, Wit, and and uh, your role in the team and what you do, and and what brought you to crypto. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again. We really appreciate you having us on, Mark. Uh, I am the the business end of Hashrate. So when it comes to the mining aspects, you know, Mean Hash and Walkin and Wheelbearman are tremendous resources. And while I am a very very small noob miner, uh, I'm our our CEO and I handle our business development and the relationship building side of the brand. And I got into crypto like most people, uh, chasing chasing wealth, you know. Bought the top in December of 2017, quickly traded my ETH into a bunch of different shit coins, and then uh, watched all of the values rapidly decline before starting to educate myself and getting plugged into uh, a great group of traders and learning from them. And then, you know, fortunately growing my stack back and then got into mining and met 
uh, Will Bearman and Crypto Chris Walken, who are tremendous resources for me. And you know, through through time, about a year later, here we are. Yeah. So, and, and from from a, a Bitcoin point of view, is it something that interests you philosophically, or look, are you just here to speculate and and make a buck? No, I, you know, Bitcoin to me represents opportunity. When I first got into crypto, somebody said that cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, it's like somebody hit the reset button on the economy. And now what you have is the opportunity to focus on an industry or a field and really double down on it over the next five to 10 years and become the future authority in that, uh, in that market or in that industry. So, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur, I, I have been for uh, the majority of my adult life opportunity is something that you're always you're always looking for right you you hear all the time that success is when opportunity and preparedness meet uh, mm-hmm. i'd like to think that i've spent the better part of my adult year getting prepared for the right opportunity so when i saw bitcoin and what it could mean for this generation and future generations the opportunity to me was just too overwhelming to not pursue with full effort um, I actually walked away and turned control of the company that I was managing over to uh, my wife and went full time into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency right from the start. So December 2017, when I started, I went full tilt, all in, you know, welded the back door shut, no plan B, we're going to figure this thing out. Wow. Yeah, that is admirable. And to your point earlier, you know, the opportunity, the long term thing, I think that's the best way of looking at it because like you, I came in around the same time, December 2017 and you know, thought I was a trading genius because I was making money hand over fist with no expertise whatsoever. And then, you know, you get further into the, the rabbit hole, so to speak, and you understand what an opportunity Bitcoin really is from a, a macro point of view or philosophical point of view, whichever way you want to look at it. And you take a haircut on the price, but you go, okay, I am one of a very select few people who have taken the time to educate myself about these markets, this technology, and it's only going to put you in a really, really good position further down the line. So it's, you know, you can stomach those losses, those initial losses, because it's an investment in yourself, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you had mentioned on the show that you did with Alex, you guys were talking about how you had gotten into it and, you know, jumping from trade to trade. Uh, and I believe you made a comment about looking for islands next to, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Next, to next to Richard Branson. And I think everyone's kind of guilty of that, right? When you first get in, you, especially if you got in, you know, late 2017, early 2018, you're seeing all of these people generate a, a pretty substantial amount of money. And you're, you know, if you were fortunate, maybe you got lucky and you got in on some of that as well. If you weren't and you were on the other side of those trades, you got dumped on and you lost a lot of money. Uh, But we all, I think the initial excitement of just that potential life-changing wealth transfer is the, you know, that's the initial thing that gets people in. And then through time, people that stick with it, when you really get a sense of what this means long-term, that's when the buy-in occurs. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And and how about how about you, Mihash? What's your story? Uh, so mine's a little bit different than Wits. So uh, uh, I actually got involved in cryptocurrency or got my first bitcoins back in 2014. So for me, it's a little bit different of a situation than people who joined when the market w- had already pumped. Um, I joked that uh, Bitcoin was down at like 3,200 or whatever. It was still 
more than a 10x from where I had started buying Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, all right. Don't need to brag. So, right? <laughs> so it, when you look at it over a few years, it kind of uh, becomes uh, the longer you have a position like that, the the less the market fluctuation starts to bother you because it would basically have to go back to zero before you would lose out on your initial investment. Um, but I actually got involved in Bitcoin. Um, I came from a finance background, um, actually very similar to uh, what uh, Kevin Pham experienced. Uh, uh, I actually worked at Wells Fargo about the same time that he worked at Wells Fargo and witnessed all that corruption and stuff that they had going on. Right. Um, and actually uh, reported it to our internal uh, fraud department and they fired me for it. Ooh, savage. Um, so, and then literally three months later, the housing market collapsed and, uh, and I watched the U.S. government print a whole bunch of money um, and bail out all the banks, but really not bail out any people. Um, it took, you know, seven or eight years before even the wealthiest 20% started to recoup any losses that they had from that. Um, and realistically, since 2008, you know, the majority of people in the country are still making the same amount of money or, or just slightly more than what they were making in 2008. So in my opinion, it still really never trickled all the way down. Um, and when that kind of happened, um, I realized just like with most things, that if you centralize power of anything, it starts to become a system of corruption. Um, you witness it with cities when they annex uh, counties and they annex more space. Uh, the bigger they get, the more likely there is that there's corruption going on at the uh, higher official levels in those cities. Um, and that kind of trickles all the way through the whole economy. Um, so it was kind of a drive for that whole idea of decentralization, allowing for uh, control of that corruption, because the more people that you have that have control over something, the less likely it is one person or one group of people will gain all the power of it and, and basically take control of it. Um, mm -hmm. And so I know that there's still a lot of people that like question how decentralized Bitcoin and some of these other currencies are. But if you really look at it compared to, you know, our our governmental structure or our current monetary policy with with fiat currencies around the world, um, it's extremely decentralized compared to any of those. Mm -hmm. um, and so it still may not be to the level of decentralization people were hoping for, but comparatively, it's way more decentralized. Um, that being said, I come, I used to um, like make gaming computers um, okay. for people. Um, and so I got into cryptocurrency mining a, a little bit after like the GTX 980 series came out. So it was like the end of 2015, early 2016. Um, and then from there, just really that there's an arbitrage here, especially if you have decent electricity rates, which I happen to live somewhere that has pretty cheap electricity. Um, and so it kind of just became a no brainer, um, where it was like, okay, so you're spending this much on electricity every day. 
Um, but what you're getting for that is worth more than that. And so there's not too many things where you can just basically set up mining equipment or set up a gaming computer or whatever else and turn it on and run it and be like, this is making me money every day for me just running these softwares. Um, and it was kind of a self-taught thing. Like I said, I was uh, educated in finance. Um, it was like a calculus finance, actually. And so I was self-taught in everything that I know about IT and programming and everything. Um, but the combination of the two really made getting into mining kind of be a no-brainer for me. So that's kind of how I got into cryptocurrency. And I, I got to say real quick, just because I know he's not big on tuning his own horn, uh, mean hash is uh, is a stud when it comes to the tech side of things. He actually heads up the uh, the operating system. He he's the CEO of of Hashrate Software, which is one of our subsidiaries, uh, and he's really been the the driving force behind that project, which you know we're we're excited is is launching soon. But yeah, I mean his his experience speaks for itself. But on the tech side of things, he's he's been a huge uh, a huge addition to the Hashrate team, and he came on. Gosh, I guess like uh, a couple of a couple of months after walking Will Bearman and I decided to to get things formed up legitimately. And when did that happen? Gosh, I, you know, it, it it all kind of because it was just a formality. I don't know when the exact launch date was. I have to go back through the paperwork, but it's it's all happened really fast. I think we actually formed the company in the beginning of April. Okay, but we'd been we'd been discussing and uh, working behind the scenes together uh, as a group since. About this time last year, you know, Walken, Will Bearman, and I met in Chicago at a conference, uh, and just through conversations, we, you know, we hit it off, became friends, started a, a live stream together, which really was just us, you know, kind of goofing off with the members of Walken's Discord uh, and drinking a little bit, and you know, answering some questions and shooting the breeze, uh, and then that evolved into the Hashrate Podcast, which you know we're about to start season three. Uh, and then through the podcast, Walken and Will Bearman would always just make fun of me, you know, because I'm the noob miner. They'd be like, no, <laughs> this is, uh, they would always get on my case. They're like, dude, when are you going to build your first rig? When are you going to get a rig up and running? Um, and I would laugh. I'd be like, guys, it's like, I've got, I've got two kids. I've got a wife. I've got a business. I'm trying to start another business. Like life is busy. You know, if, if there was a way that mining could be simple, that we could create, you know, like a, there was just a one button solution where I could you know, spend the $1,500, build a rig, hook it up, hit this button, and that would be it. I'd be all about it. Uh, and, you know, that solution didn't exist. So in time, we were like, why don't we just build it? And that's how Hashrate, the company, actually started. You know, we, we started the company basically building a solution for me. Um, and that was, that was the whole thing. So, you know, bringing MeanHash on board, when, when was that MeanHash? Is that? Like it was February May or, or the end of May or okay uh, when we I think that's when we actually put stuff in, uh, in writing. It was before that when I started talking to you guys, but I don't remember exactly when it was. Yeah, I mean, if you're familiar with Walkins, Chris Walkins Discord. Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, he, he's yeah. he's seen as the go-to guy really when it comes to asking questions about mining and all these kind of things. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in those discords or in his discord specifically, it's such a big community discussion all the time that it's it's really hard to figure out when when you start talking to who because I mean, we're basically talking to a lot of different people every day about different ideas, which is exciting in and of itself. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's been 
it's been a fast 2019 so far for for hasher it's been uh, it's been crazy the pace and the momentum so far well i'm, I'm really excited for you because I, i'm very similar to you wit from a time point of view i've got a couple of kids a wife i've actually got a full-time job that isn't in crypto at the moment but i'd be really keen to start mining if the electricity was favorable and unfortunately in london it is quite expensive but you know talk talk us a little bit about what what mining is so uh you know people just think of mining bitcoin but of course there are other proof of work currencies out there so give the high level overview explain like i'm five maybe a little bit older than five actually but yeah talk about what mining is and the process and uh the high level overview me and hash go ahead buddy yeah this is all you me hash um, so mining at, uh, at a very high level uh, with uh, cryptocurrency is basically providing processing power or compute power to different networks um, in order to support the blockchain for those networks. Um, and that does a few different things. Um, it generates new coins, it verifies transactions, um, and for your effort in putting in that proof of work, um, you're rewarded with a block reward or a portion of a block reward if you're mining towards a pool um, that they pay you out in that currency. Um, right now, the mining uh, industry, there's tons of mineable coins. Um, I actually joke if you go to coin market cap, um, you can filter out the non-mineable projects. And, and I say that that's the way that most people should actually look at coin market cap. Mm -hmm. um, because in my opinion, if you're looking at cryptocurrencies and they're projects that aren't mineable or that don't have proof of work, then they're really not cryptocurrencies. Um, and I know a lot of people would disagree with me on that, but the whole point of a cryptocurrency is to have it be decentralized. Um, and if the process isn't mineable, um, then it's really not decentralized. Um, and people will argue that there's coins that are like proof of stake or other ways to decentralize coins. Um, but there's a lot less skin in the game with those coins. So there's a lot less security. There's a lot less uh, ability or there's a lot less drive for people to uh, hold on to and support those coins because they haven't had to put in the effort in order to generate the coins or to support the network. So you know, I just want to jump in on that real quick because do you remember, uh, and Mark, I don't know if you saw it, there's an article that came out this week or last week where I believe it's there's 640 projects that haven't pushed a single line of code this yeah, year, right? That. that could never happen with a, with a, a, a community-based proof-of-work coin. People would be up in arms. You know, you have you have such big communities that come with each of these coins, which you know, if you've got people who are putting mining infrastructure behind it, or they're just looking to to follow the progress. I mean, these these community driven projects that would be that. I mean, just reading that article is crazy. Six hundred and forty projects. It's nuts. <laughs> so maybe I'm oversimplifying it here. So mining is effectively the transfer of your electricity and time into a resource that is 
tradable or on an exchange like a token, whether it's a, a cryptocurrency um, token or infrastructure platform. Is that a fair way of... The easiest way to describe it to people who don't understand cryptocurrency at all is to like look at credit card processing. Okay, so like uh, MasterCard is a perfect example. Um, they process, you know, millions and millions of transactions all the time. Um, but the way they're processing all of those transactions is through a few centralized server warehouses. Mm -hmm. um, and, and because of that, they, the 3% fee or 8% or fee or whatever it is, depending on who the uh, you know, retail vendor is, that they charge all goes to MasterCard. Um, and also because of that, when they have a server outage or a power failure or they get hacked, nobody can use their MasterCard anywhere. Um, and I mean, we've seen this in Europe where there was large swaths of Europe that lost the ability to use Visa for like a whole day. Yeah, yeah, um, I remember it well. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's because of that centralization. That's because they process all that stuff through one place. It also then takes that, uh, those processes and makes them a honeypot for hackers. Um, because all your data is flowing through these small funnels where it's being packed into one server warehouse somewhere. Um, mining basically takes those server warehouses and allows me to put my hash power to, to process those transactions. So instead of it being done in one MasterCard warehouse, it's being done on home computers or wherever else all over the world. Um, and what that does is that uh, makes the whole network be more sound. Um, you know, to bring down something like Bitcoin network all the way, you'd basically have to have a full global power outage. Yeah. Um, and, and that really strengthens its, its ability. That, that, that gives it a ton more coverage. It also means that those transactions are being processed through computers all over the place. So it, it basically makes it be unhackable. And I say that there's there's flaws in some cryptocurrencies that have been found where they've been able to take advantage of exploits and things to generate fake coins. Um, and eventually they, they always get patched. But for the most part, it's much more secure than doing something like using a credit card and processing it through a centralized location. So when you're mining, you're basically at a high level, taking what MasterCard does in-house and you're doing it in your house. Um, and for doing that, instead of that fee going to MasterCard, it's going towards you. Um, and right now, most cryptocurrencies are still in their, what they call their inflation phase, where they're actually generating new coins. Mm -hmm. um, but in the future, when the, when the total supply is hit from for most of those coins, which, you know, uh, Bitcoin's next halving is going to be next year. Um, a bunch of coins have similar distribution models to Bitcoin or have models that just slowly dis reduce distribution, but they have an infinite supply. Once it gets to the point where those distribution models, where there's less distribution happening, then the transaction fees is actually what you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. so at that point in time, you really will be just replacing what MasterCard does right now with centralized server warehouses. You'll just be doing it decentralized in people's houses and mining farms all over the world. So you, you used a term earlier called hash power. 
it's something that you cannot escape if you're in the world of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin mining. Can, can you talk a little bit about hash power? Yeah, so uh, hash power is basically the speed at which you're able to compute transactions. Um, so there's a ton of different al algorithms out there. The list continues to grow. A lot of that is uh, them trying to find algorithms to try and help decentralization. Some of it is trying to find algorithms that are more energy efficient. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why people create new algorithms. Bitcoin's algorithm is the original one. It's been on the same one the whole time, but now there's, you know, hundreds of mineable coins out there. And there's, you know, probably 30 plus different types of algorithms to mine on them. Each algorithm, you will have a different hash rate depending on the hardware you have. Even the same hardware on different algorithms will mine at a different speed. Um, but that hash rate is basically like a measuring stick for how fast your your computer hardware is able to process the transactions or or solve for blocks on uh, on any given network. Right. Okay. And there's obviously, like you say, a lot of proof of work projects out there. How do you, as a miner, select which ones to mine based on the power you have at your disposal? And further to that, how do the projects create incentives to, for miners to actually mine their projects rather than many of the other projects that are out there? So uh, once you've been in mining for a little while, um, there's kind of two main philosophies. Um, people who have lots of hardware uh, do a mix of both, so I'll kind of touch on both of them. Mm -hmm. um, picking projects, there's really no easy way to do it. And it's a big part of the reason why Walk-In's Discord group has has spawned up and, and how I got involved in that. Um, and there's quite a few, there's about 20 of us that helped him get that started up that are all admins in that group. Um, but there's so many projects launching all the time. It could be a full-time job just reading white papers and trying to decide which coins to mine. Um, so we kind of got together originally in a Telegram group and we're like, okay, well, let's divide and conquer. Um, so we started researching projects that we were interested in. And then if it was something that we thought was going to be a good project, we would bring it to the group. Um, and basically, as long as everybody was bringing stuff to the group, then it was worth everybody being in the group. So, you know, I still probably read four or five white papers a week. Um, there's a few key things that I'm looking for when I do that. If it's new projects, um, the biggest things are that it's not a copy pasta, uh, which basically means they didn't just rip off another project and change the colors and re-release That it. never happens in crypto. Never. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the other things is, is, is w what's the actual usability of it and that there wasn't a huge pre-mine. Um, some people are kind of against what they call dev fees where like a certain portion of everything that's mined goes to the development team. Mm -hmm. um, I actually don't have as much of a problem with that as some people do. Um, my biggest thing with that is, is that if you want the project to continue to get developed, um, then they're going to need funding to pay developers and to be able to spend their time on it. Um, so as long as a project's constantly being developed, 
um, then I don't really have an issue with a development fee being a part of it because it's kind of like me mining, but then me paying those people to continue to develop this project that I like. It's it. There's got to be a lot of creative ways. I was uh, chatting with the guys at Decred earlier this week, and I like the model they've got. Ten percent of the block reward goes to a centralized treasury in which they work out how to disperse those funds effectively to maintain the success of the project. I, I like that. And you've got to have all those creative models to keep, to keep the projects going, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a business at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're trying to build this network and there has to be a way for things to get done. There have been a lot of proof of work projects that have launched with no pre-mine, no dev, you know, no, no dev fees the way that that is. And it's just, it, it ends up being problematic because then you get to a point where every time you need to raise funds for anything, you're doing it through some kind of community vote, uh, which it, it can be good, but in times of need, when you have to make a fast decision, it can be really tough if you have to take that extra step. Mm. So, and a lot of times it's harder for them to bring on the right talent. Correct. Um, because people who are talented want to get paid for what they're good at. Um, and that's just the nature of capitalism. So I, I, some people have a problem with it. I don't really have a problem with it. Um, the biggest thing that I look for is making it so that it's user friendly. Um, so the biggest thing, in my opinion, that's a problem in crypto right now is the usability of it for somebody who knows nothing about computers Yeah, is almost impossible. And so trying to find projects that are trying to solve that aspect of what's going on um, is a big thing that I look at when I'm picking projects. And then the other big thing that I look at, and I think that it's still kind of just on the very, uh, you know, breaking edge is privacy coins. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, people are just now waking up to some of the stuff that is being tracked with their web activity and their social networks and their apps. Um, but what people don't realize is, is that's, like small potatoes compared to what gets tracked related to your purchasing habits. And so I think as that comes out in the future and people start to realize that like, yeah, Facebook's tracking everything that you MasterCard and Visa and all these other companies are tracking, are buying all of that information from Facebook and tracking everything that you purchased. What, what was that story that you had about the, the purchase history and the, the mountain climber? Yeah, so I have a brother-in-law that lives in Washington, and he has a friend um, who basically climbs mountains out there. And for one of his friend's birthdays, he went to like a mountain climbing store. I think it was REI or one of those, mm -hmm. and got a bunch of money from all of their friends and then went and bought basically like some pretty intense mountain climbing gear, like stuff that you would use to like, uh, summit Mount Everest. Um, I forget which mountain they were trying to summit. I know that they've climbed like uh, Mount Hood and a, and a few other mountains in the area there that are pretty high. Um, and because he made those purchases, uh, his life insurance policy was canceled. Whoa. Um, because they basically said that he was too dangerous for them to continue to have uh, on their life insurance. And how did they um, find that transaction out? <laughs> Right, directly through his credit card. Yeah, they found it out through his credit card. So a lot of people don't realize that that type of stuff is going on because it hasn't happened to them. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as we move more into this and as these insurance companies get more into data analytics, 
Um, my assumption is, is that you're going to start seeing insurance companies raise your rates if you eat McDonald's too often or raise your rates if you go out to the bar and have a huge bar tab too often. I'm raise screwed. Rates. I am screwed. <laughs> because when you look at it from their perspective, people who have those bad habits are more risky for them to insure. So, you know, from their perspective, they're basically rewarding people who are live a healthier lifestyle or are less risky and putting the burden of the people who are less healthy and live a riskier lifestyle on those people. Um, but that being said, that starts to cut into your freedom of what you can do. Um, and it's kind of one of those things where they're using basically monetary policy in order to drive people's behavior. Um, because they could say something like, hey, eating at this restaurant often means that we're going to raise your insurance rate. And so a big portion of the population will decide, well, we're going to, we're going to stop eating at that restaurant. And it could basically cause that restaurant to go under. And that's just because, you know, we're moving away from a, from a paper cash society to a digital currency society. And just things like that, I think in the next five to 10 years, as people wake up to that and you start to see more and more of these insurance companies doing mass data uh, capturing and data analytics that people are going to want to be able to hide those purchases. And so as a part of that, I think that, uh, you know, privacy coins in the future are going to be something that are huge. The ability to buy things online or just in person, but using, a, you know, privacy centric uh, digital asset are going to be huge. It's going to be a huge functionality that everybody is going to understand why it's important to them. Um, because like my story about the mountain climbing gear in the next five or 10 years, everybody's going to have a story like that. It's, it's a weird one. Philosophically, I am a little bit on the fence about privacy coins for the reasons you've mentioned. I think they're going to be ideal, but I'm not sure if you guys remember the Panama papers that sort of surfaced, I don't know, was it a year ago or, or two years ago now in which, you know, they were basically showing how uh, high net worth individuals were moving their funds around the world, big banks like Society General and all those guys that there is cause to have oversight on how some people are moving their money in, with nefarious intentions and, Privacy coins will completely take that away, right? These guys can just suddenly move all their net worth or whatever to wherever it is they want and no one will have any sight and there will be no ramifications at all. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one philosophically, I think. Well, I right. think that's, the, that's uh, a libertarian view with Bitcoin, right? I mean, just in general, you have, as a, as a libertarian or, or someone who believes that, you know, the market should determine how things go and you know free market capitalism you you understand that there is the good and the bad you know so if you want to be able to have private transactions where you can go out and you know have a beer with your friends in your early 20s and it's not going to impact your insurability as a you know a, an adult in your 30s or 40s uh, then that's that's something that you know, the flip side, you do have the ability then for the large, the whales, so to speak, to be able to move their money around freely and avoid certain financial hurdles that would otherwise be there. So I think there's, there's going to be the, the point counterpoint to that. It then just becomes a question of how much government do we want? How do we get regulators involved? Where do 
where and how are those regulators then able to track transactions? So there's a, a definitely a deep conversation that I think is going on uh, right now in all of crypto and in a lot of governments to try to figure out how you how you get the best of both worlds, you know, and ultimately, like Mean Hash has been saying, those data points that are out there are tremendous, you know, and the the way that marketing is occurring using our data and our spending habits and uh, the products and services that are available to us based on our spending, it's uh, it's getting very murky. You know, the next five years are going to be very interesting with monetary policy and with a lot of the regulations that are going to come to pass. I would make the argument that the extremely wealthy that want to do nefarious things with their money, um, even in the current structure, they're going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. That was you know, and the fine <laughs> and and the fines for them, um, and when they get caught, you never hear about any of them going to jail. Yeah. Um, and the fines for them realistically is a drop in the bucket, even though it seems like oh, so much money, it's not for them. Um, well, and the, so, the ironic thing is the only thing that actually happened after those Panama papers were released was the young woman who broke the story was murdered. The journalist was murdered, you know, read into that what you will. And, and so, you know, in my opinion, privacy coins just level that playing field. Because right now, those people who are doing that at a massive level that have the money to to be able to spend money laundering their money or, or finding other means to transfer it around, they have an unfair advantage over the normal citizen who can't do that. Sure. And so uh, providing that same level of privacy and, and to, to all users, even if you just want to go buy something that costs a dollar fifty at the store and you don't want anybody to know about it, just levels that playing field. Otherwise, what you're going to end up having is you're going to have the super wealthy people who have no data getting tracked on them, who because of that pay less in insurance and have better credit scores and other things like that because their purchase history isn't being tracked at the same level as the rest of the population who's having everything scrutinized that they do because they don't have privacy options. Yeah. So, you know, like at, at some point in time, you have to just accept the fact that laws aren't going to fix that. People who have enough money, it's common knowledge that they operate outside of the law and above the law. Um, and so changing up the monetary policy to give everybody the ability to decide what they want to have tracked and what they don't want to have tracked in my opinion, just levels the playing field. And this is another great thing about mining. If you want privacy for whatever reason, you know, you don't necessarily need to go to an exchange and buy privacy coins because ultimately that could still possibly be a tracked transaction. You can mine those coins yourself. Yeah, and, and from that aspect, I actually think in the future, and we've started to see it already with Bitcoin, um, but I think even more beyond Bitcoin with some of the other coins and especially with privacy coins, there's going to be a premium for, for freshly minted mined coins mm. um, because they don't have any transaction history associated with them. So, you know, especially for like institutional investors, they wouldn't want to buy Bitcoin that's been that on its transaction history has nefarious things that it's been used for. Mm. They're going to buy and hold on to Bitcoin. They want to buy and hold on to Bitcoin that's fresh straight from straight from the mint. 
And so I think that you're going to see that with other coins in the future as well. Privacy coins, maybe not as much, but there's things like ZEC where it's technically a privacy coin, but only 2% of its transactions are actually private on both ends. And so even with something like what, like ZEC, you're going to see people that think that that might be the coin of the future that are going to want to buy clean, fresh minted coins rather than buy them off an exchange because the transaction history of those coins might be dirty. And so, you know, that's kind of one of the nice things about mining is, is that you're minting basically fresh, clean coins that, you know, haven't been used in anything nefarious. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I also think that it's a really great way to on-ramp into cryptocurrency without having to use fiat. So, you know, another big thing with privacy coins and just cryptocurrency in general is is that a lot of exchanges and things the only way for you to do it is you have to connect them to something of you that's traceable so you have to connect it to your bank account or you have to connect it to your credit card in order to have that fiat on ramp to be able to buy the coins Um, mining kind of puts an anonymous layer in there so instead of going to coinbase and buying coins with your credit card you're going to ebay and buying GPUs, and then you're using those GPUs to generate the coins that you would have bought. And so it may take you longer to get the same amount of coins, but in the end, you're getting all of those coins without there being any trace that you got them. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of food for thought, and there are so many different privacy coins out there. It's must be challenging for you guys to place your bets, I, I suppose, on, on which ones will stay the course and and from your point of view mean hash you've been in the game since 2014 lots of people just think most of the other cryptocurrencies are going to go away it's going to be bitcoin maybe a handful of others what kind of things do you look for in a project when you start investing your time and resources into securing that network Uh, well so there's been a few things with privacy coins that uh, have come out really since like january which i think are starting to kind of uh, change the whole aspect of of privacy coins Um, so there was a few projects that launched right at the start of january um, mimbly wimbly which I even hate saying the word because it sounds so goofy. <laughs> um, but but the way that that transaction process works and the way that that, that has been implemented has been pretty eye-opening in the privacy industry. There's two main projects on that. A lot of people have probably heard of both of them. Um, Grin, which a lot of people were saying was going to be the new Bitcoin. Um, it kind of spun up from the same uh, style of grassroots community mm-hmm. um, and as a privacy coin. Um, I like Grin. My biggest concern with Grin is, is that there is not uh, really a development fund for it. It's community funded to do all of the development. Um, and because of that, there's been some UI and some other things related to the user experience that uh, makes it a little bit more difficult for people to be able to uh, use and and mass adopt. Yeah, um, isn't it um, you have to send it somewhere, then accept the sending, and then the sending goes, it's, it's a nightmare to, to move Grin around, isn't it? Yeah, so it's, 
it was worse before it's gotten better. There's a new Grin wallet that's out for Windows that has kind of a nice UI that's made it a lot easier. But yeah, it involves like sending a file, which I actually think is a really creative way to do it. The problem is, is that most people circumvent the security that that provides because they're emailing that file to people. Um, and email is a horribly unsecure means of communication. Mm -hmm. um, and so it kind of circumvents that. Um, the other big project that uses that is Beam. Um, and Beam kind of went the opposite path of Grin. So instead of it being grassroots community, uh, Beam went out and got a whole bunch of funding to run their project. Um, and they have a really nice uh, UI wallet. They've gotten some good exchange listings. They recently got listed on Binance. Um, so there's a few things with that project that I like. Um, they also have implemented some things for them to be able to turn over information if there ever was a need from a government to say, hey, we're trying to catch these criminals that are using your coin. Um, they actually have the ability to like, unmask transactions which some people really like i don't know how i feel about it i like the project i would hope that they would never get like get subpoenaed for like minor transactions mm. and they would only get subpoenaed for like trying to catch somebody trying to move billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars to do something illegal with um, but the fact that there's that ability there makes me question whether or not a government would ever able to find a case where they could say well we need to pull all the transactions from it um, so there's kind of some concern there that the security of that could be compromised um, there's a few other projects that have done some pretty cool things uh, zcoin is one um, they actually were working on zero coin before it had a problem with it that had a vulnerability they pivoted from that to what they call Sigma, which is a new form of privacy transactions that they use. Um, and they also moved to a new mining algorithm, which is uh, MTP or the Merkle tree protocol, which is kind of cool. It's very GPU centric and uh, has really decentralized their project from the, from the algorithm that they were on before. And, with privacy coins in general, them being as decentralized as possible really drives that privacy. Some of the other ones that I've seen come out this year, uh, Veil is another one that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah. They were built on the uh, zero coin protocol too, and they're moving to uh, a new privacy protocol called Sonic. They've done a couple medium posts on it if people want to read about it. Um, but the cool thing about Veil is that it actually is both proof of work and proof of stake. So they kind of incentivize you to hold on to coins that you've mined. So that's kind of a first in privacy coins to be able to stake privacy coins um, and not like needing a masternode or something to be able to do that. So, you know, there's just been a few things like that that have come out. I'm kind of of the belief that in the future, there's probably going to be more cryptocurrencies, not less. And I know a lot of people, especially Bitcoin maximalists, will be like, no, that's garbage. There's only a need for one coin. The need, I don't think necessarily drives what's really going to happen. I mean, if you look at fiat currency right now, there's only a need for one fiat currency, but we have hundreds of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
you know, there's, there's only a need for one rewards program for when you purchase stuff at stores, but instead you have every single store have their own mm-hmm. rewards program. Um, there's only a need for one credit card, but there's, you know, hundreds of different types of credit cards. In fact, a lot of credit card companies have tens or hundreds of different versions of their own credit card that you can buy. Um, and so I think that, uh, just the nature of that, um, and, and how that's gone with other, uh, monetary things, there's probably going to be tons of cryptocurrencies. Um, my guess is, is that some type of mass adoption will actually be a lot of big companies like Facebook and Amazon and Google and Microsoft, et cetera, making their own coins not uh, piggybacking on uh, to projects that are already there or taking over projects that are already there and making it their coin, but they probably won't all use the same thing. Well, you, you raised a good point earlier, you know, to have true decentralization, you need miners securing the network, validating transactions and whatnot all over the world or dispersed in various different locations. And, I know that people run a full node with Bitcoin. It's definitely not the same as mining. You don't really get a reward. You're just partaking in, in the um, decentralization activity and the verification of the, the, the transact- transactions. But from a mining point of view, you or I, well, actually, you guys could easily do it. But me, I, I, I can't mine Bitcoin. It's too sophisticated now. The hash power it required to do it is tremendous. So wouldn't that support what you're saying there, Mean Hash, that really there's lots of other uh, cryptocurrencies that people can mine with a regular GPU or PC at home and they can secure those networks? Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And, and I actually think that there's still, and it probably will, won't happen until Bitcoin or cryptocurrency as a whole has its next big bull run. Um, but there's still a ton of gamers out there that have really powerful computers that are not using them for mining right now. Yeah, um, my, my brother just you, uses his for StarCraft. That's it. If you if you look at uh, you know Nvidia and AMD's sales, most of their customers are not mining, and a big swath of their customers are anti-cryptocurrency mining because they think it drives up the costs of yeah (laughs) yeah Um, that's my brother (laughs) and so when you get to the point when you start hitting mass adoption for these things and and like i said i think every time there's a bull run with cryptocurrency you see more and more of them transition over to hey, well, while I'm not using my computer, I can have it be making me extra money. When they get to the point where they can realize that they, where they feel like they can make a amount of money running their computer that's worth it for them to run it, and they realize, hey, there's actually benefit to this. You know, like, this is protecting my privacy when I buy stuff online. This is decentralizing monetary systems. This is taking monetary policy and putting it back into the people's hands. A lot more people who own different types of hardware that can do that compute will see not only the monetary benefit, but the societal benefit of mining. And they'll transition more and more of them over. So my guess is is right now, especially after January, that was probably the bottom of cryptocurrency mining or the local bottom of it my guess is is over the next five and ten years you're going to see 
more and more and more people who own compute power like that that are going to start mining cryptocurrencies because it's going to become something that they not just see a monetary gain from but they see a moral obligation to support yeah look i think you've raised fantastic points uh, throughout this conversation and hopefully the listeners aren't scared to look a bit further into mining and realize that you know actually it is achievable so if the listeners do want to know about mining and the activities involved in researching projects what's the best way to reach out to you guys um so the the easiest way is uh to join the mining group that we have you can actually follow we, the mining group itself has a twitter account that has a link to join the discord group um it's just at proof of walking on twitter otherwise you feel free to follow me i'm at mean hash if you join the community we have hundreds of people joining the community all the time um, and everybody in the community is always helping new miners get started. Lots of the people who are in there that will jump in and help you out right away are people who got started mining from help from other people in the community. And so that's kind of the easiest way to get started. When, when uh, Hashrate OS drops, I would recommend people checking that out as well. Um, it'll make doing a lot of the stuff that you used to have to do to understand code and being able to write bat files and understand Linux terminals and things like that. It kind of takes all of that and puts it in a nice, clean UI that makes the user experience a whole lot better. No um, pressure, but when, when are we looking for that to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're looking at the first week of October for, uh, for our rollout to people that are in the Proof of Walk and Discord. So... Uh, if you get in there this week, uh, I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but for anyone who's joining that Discord, we will release the, the operating system to those miners uh, and then you know, to the, the world at large uh, before the end of October. So we've got a lot, of, a lot of things that are still in the works with regards to development, but the product itself is fantastic. We've been in a closed beta since the beginning of August. Um, with just miners that we we know and we trust, getting their feedback and you know developing on some of the things that they've told us they'd like to see, uh, and then of course you know our own experience as a group of miners using different platforms, obviously with Mean Hash and Walkin and Whale Bearman over the past you know three, four, five years, um, they've gotten the experience of using the available operating systems that are currently on the market, and we've been able to you know see what we like, what we don't like, what needs to be tweaked where things can be made easier or more simple for the newest user and then we've applied those so we uh, we're really excited about about this operating system to get released and like Meanhash said you know following proof of walking getting in there is a great resource for the operating system if you want to follow the hash rate os on twitter just for updates on when the actual launch will occur it's just at hash rate os so h-a-s-h-r-8-o-s at twitter awesome well I can't wait to see it uh, drop personally because I, I want to get involved in mining for the reasons that you uh, perfectly articulated on the call, Mean Hash. So thank you very much, Wit. Thank you very much, Mean Hash. It's been fantastic talking to you guys. And I expect to be talking to you guys hopefully uh, soon in the next six months to a year and, and uh, talking about the further success you guys have had. Thanks, Mark. We really appreciate you having us on. Excellent. All right. Cheers, guys. Have a good day. Take care. You too. Well, there you go. MeanHash could provide hours upon hours of insight into cryptocurrency and the wider markets. He has a fundamental understanding of why this young industry will be a success in the long term. 
Make sure you check out the details in the show notes for where you need to go so you can learn more about mining and the Hasrate team if you are so inclined. If you enjoyed the show, please do let us know. Do us a solid and share on your socials and leave us a review. It really helps the daily chain and the wider crypto movement as a whole. As always, you can reach me at dailychainpod on Twitter or mark at thedailychain.com. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next week for another great episode. You've just listened to The Daily Chain Podcast. Make sure you visit thedailychain.com to keep up to date with the latest and most exciting news and projects.